Hello and welcome to the cafe stop. This is the only time you'll hear me say this because Josh does every intro, um, <laughs> but we're here. Uh, we'll be bringing Phil in in a minute, but uh, quickly want to go through what this podcast is about and what you can expect from us. And I figured I would hand it over to Josh, the mastermind behind all of this, to give you an <laughs> overview of what this podcast is actually about. Why, thank you, Mr. Bally. You're too kind, Mikey. Um, we just really wanted to sit down with people because often uh, in sports, you don't have access to athletes or, or people directly, and you don't really get a chance to hear their stories um, in the same way that you would with your friends uh, if you sit down in a cafe. And that's something we really think is important. And talking to um, people who are amazing athletes, but not only amazing athletes, uh, awesome people as well. And we really want to tell their stories and inspire um, athletes out there and, and bring everyone together over over coffee because I think that's something almost everybody can always agree on, right? <laughs> um, but yeah, bring bring that experience right to the to the viewer um, or listener, I guess I should say, if we're starting up this podcast um, and highlight some cool uh, local cafes and, and chat with people from all around the world and all walks of life and. Um, yeah, just try to bring everybody together and inspire more people to get on bikes. And it's really been a pleasure doing this. I think over the last six months while we've been recording this, yeah, we've absolutely. gone through some really tricky subjects. We've talked about a lot of mental health, some loss in, in families. Um, we've had an interesting discussion about Viagra. Um, <laughs> I mean, there's there's a lot to look forward to. Tied to, in, to altitude training. Episodes. No, it's just, just Viagra. You don't, don't give it away. <laughs> <laughs> no yeah um the experience uh of every person is so different and so dependent on so many different things and uh you know who they are um so all the athletes that we chat with are um you know first and foremost people and that's something that we want to highlight and uh um just bring bring the experience right to you yep and uh I guess we'll introduce Phil now. Um, we are Josh and Michael, and we are running the Cafe Stop. Um, and here's Phil Guyman coming Let's get in. Get to Hot. it. Oh, I didn't have it up. <laughs> Perfect. Awesome. Well, <laughs> um, we welcome to the Cafe Stop. We're here uh, with, of course, the infamous Phil Guyman, two times Redlands Classic winner, the most uh, well-known worst retirement ever. Uh, the Cookie Monster himself, Phil. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, gentlemen. Thanks uh, uh, for hooking us up with some ten-speed coffee as well. I guess, um, like you said, you used to live a couple blocks from one location. Now you live a couple blocks from the other. Um, we're drinking ten-speed coffee this morning, and uh, they've been really good to us. Isabella from there uh, sent us some some coffee. It's great coffee, and the people are are even better. Yeah, they've got they've got two shops in LA, and it's kind of like. The meeting point for uh, for for riders there is just like yeah, let's go to Peddler's Fork or, or Ten Speed. Um, so good people and uh, obviously yeah, nice. quality coffee. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's awesome. It's great that they're so supportive of the cycling community, and uh, you can find them at Ten Speed Coffee. That's the number ten Speed Coffee on Instagram and the website again number ten speedcoffee.com. Awesome. Um, so speaking of that, Mikey. Uh, what was the yeah, question? I mean, to set the scene, uh, cafe stop. We're rolling up to the cafe stop. Um, Josh and I, a little bit bigger in the cycling uh, in the cycling weight zone, riding up to t up to the coffee shop top of a hill. Um, we're obviously going to lose lose a pays. What are we ordering, you Phil? Do you want coffee, pastries, maybe a cheeky breakfast sandwich? What's your coffee um, order? I mean, well, we'll do the pastry part first. It's kind of obvious. Um, like, if if there's a good cookie, I'm going to want the cookie. Uh, but my, my whole thing with cookies is like I don't I don't want a bad cookie. Bad cookies now just kind of offend me. So if it's if the cookie doesn't look good, then get me a brownie because a bad brownie is better than a bad cookie. Um, and if we don't trust either of those, good just call. like a butter croissant is like pretty much all the cafes around here have that. It's never gonna be bad. That'll get me through the next two hours of my ride. Um, coffee wise, like a straight espresso, you can't go wrong. I'm not gonna be mad about it. Um, my my thing with LA, and this is kind of Ten Speed's fault, is it, for every year that I live here, it adds a word to my coffee order. So, <laughs> so lately my go-to is uh, a dirty chai latte with oat milk, uh, iced. 
is another word nice. this time of year. <laughs> so that's it's every time I hear myself order, I'm like, oh, I hate myself. And then, but it's delicious. I mean, I feel like that's the same as the Starbucks trope where I actually have to look at the sign now. I can't just walk into a Starbucks and get a coffee because they've changed the name so much that I want like the salted caramel oat shake and espresso with ice. Um, And I run out of breath before the end of it. (laughs) Um, And by the end of the writing a novel on the cup, you know. And you're you're a you're a big um, a big cookie rater in your Instagram stories. What what's a good cookie? Um, I mean, a, a classic like chocolate chip sea salt is kind of the go-to. But uh, my my whole thing is don't try to reinvent the cookie. Don't try to improve on the classic cookie. Just make the best cookie available. Um, that's kind of always been my my mantra. People get fancy, and the cookie game honestly like has is gotten a lot stronger in the last few years. I think. Um, like the the best cookie when I moved to LA like isn't the top ten anymore. There's just so many great cookie options. Um, I think I think the world is catching on. Wow. It just you know fresh. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so just basic I, chocolate yeah, chip. I think you've had a monumental influence. <laughs> yeah, you on just that. yeah. I'll take half the credit for it. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, it's it's just it needs to be a good chocolate chip. <laughs> I like you know a, the the ratio of chocolate is important. Um, you know if you can serve it hot, obviously that's a win. Crispy or chewy? I think that that's <laughs> my no, big I, thing. That depends on my mood. Ooh. I like both. Like, gener- I don't want it to be crunchy. Like, it should, it should, you know, it shouldn't break like a cracker. Um, but, but sometimes I want a soft, pillowy cookie, and sometimes I want a cookie that that kind of breaks if you bend it. Um, yeah, it just depends. But I, I have kind of a go-to in oh, the city for each of those. me moves. very hungry. If you're ever looking for a cookie recipe and feel like doing some baking. Mm-hmm. Type in Martha Martha Stewart. Okay. I, I swear, I swear down Martha Stewart chewy cookie recipe. Of course, it's, Mike. Of course, because you're British. Yeah. I would think uh, that's a cookie. I feel like she. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, she, best best cookie recipe I've ever had. Um, okay. <laughs> and wow. follow the recipe because if you Solid cook them for too long, you get the you get the crunch. Oh yeah. No, yeah. That's the thing with with that's why I don't bake so much. It's it's too much science. You gotta like you really gotta be careful. Yeah. <laughs> oh man so um first of all i'm very curious too how did the whole cookie thing come to the forefront how do you get so uh involved in the cookie game? it was it was a very it was a slow process i think like one like pro cycling fans are like kind of weird in a good way um which worked with me because i'm i'm weird also <laughs> um but when i when i first started uh, when I started racing, I was writing a blog for Bicycling Magazine. So, like, I had an English degree and nothing to do with it. And I was, like, living out of my car trying to be a bike racer in the U.S. Um, and so I wrote this weekly blog for bicycling. And one week I mentioned, like, yeah, this, you know, it's hard to write about something once a week uh, back then. Like, nothing was going on in my life. So I, I was like, yeah, I had, this, I had a rough weekend. I went to this race. Didn't go great. Uh, don't recommend anything about it other than if you happen to be in this town, uh, this bakery had a great cookie. Um, that was all I, I had to say uh, oh, to, nice. to try and like end it on a high note. Um, and I think like, a couple weeks later, someone <laughs> brought a cookie to me at the race, whatever the next race was. They're like, oh, yeah, I read you like cookies. Here's one from this spot that I like. And uh, so like, I tweeted a photo of it or to my 200 followers at the time. Um, and then it very slowly snowballed into like my last year professional you know we're like the team bus pulls up to somewhere in belgium and there's three people with plates of cookies outside for me um which was which was just awesome and super weird and i just leaned into it um and when i retired i got to really embrace it the teams were always just like pro teams had a cactus up their ass uh i wasn't really allowed to have too much fun with the cookie thing back then and then when i retired i was like okay it's on we're getting a jersey covered in cookies and i had a good time yeah there, there is a very traditional uh, like aura around those teams, right? There, there's no, uh, there's not much fun to be yeah, had. Yeah, I think it's gotten um, better since since I stopped. Like, I'll take a little bit of credit for like people noticing that like social media is a thing and you can have fun on it. Um, and some of like some of the writers that like came up with me are the ones who are sort of doing it well. Um, like everything that Lachlan is doing for EF was like. JV kind of seeing what I did in my retirement and being like, okay, this is a thing uh, that we can get sponsors for and sell for, and like mm-hmm. we can give Lachlan this leash uh, without kind of cramming him into the the square hole 
that he was. I think that I think I had, I was a part of that whole scene. Yeah, I think I mean EF are definitely yeah. they're up there doing the best job they possibly can with the social media. I, I think people look forward to their palace kits for the Tour de France, mm-hmm. whether that you love or hate them. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's all good press. Right. Um, yeah, I'd love to yeah, see more absolutely. cookies in the peloton. Yeah, I think at this point, at this point, they'd be ripping yeah, me off. No. People need to do other stuff, you know. I, the cookie thing <laughs> is sort of that, that became tied to me in a funny way. So, so what's your suggestion? Yeah. A gels? Just gels thrown <laughs> everywhere? They've already got that. Get into pizza. Um, yeah, there's. I think there's options, but you know, part of it is like if I'd planned the cookie thing, it wouldn't have been cool. Um, kind of, mm. it, it was. It, it, it happened, it evolved, yeah, it was forced on me. Um, if I was like, I'm going to be the I, cookie guy in pro cycling, then I would have just come off like a creep for five years. Um, there's a team, I'm not sure if they're uh, an international team, but there's, there is a subway team. They were at the uh, Canadian national road team and they don't hand out subs. And it was very disappointing. Um, yeah, like yeah, the feed zone should be full of subs. And I think it was a completely missed opportunity. Yeah, they could cut a six inch. You could snack on that during the race, have like a half, half a sub. <laughs> I wonder if they eat the actual Subway subs yeah. or if they just wear the logo. It's like the Red Bull with water in it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. No, like, I saw there was like a commercial, I think it was whatever, like last year there was a there was a Subway ad and it had like Steph Curry and, uh, and Tom Brady in it. And I was like, Tom Brady would never set foot in a Subway, nonetheless like that in his mouth. Like he's notorious for like crazy yeah. diet. Like literally, how much are they paying this guy to pretend? Yeah. And for sure, when he's in there, he's like holding his breath. Uh, yeah. it, it really it, like made me mad at Tom Brady. Like, Not enough money. <laughs> like, don't don't push this. Um, sorry to the subway team, but you know it's bad. Yeah. Uh, it would be nothing funnier than seeing um, a uh, no, team I having do... a subway uh, in their jersey. Also, I think Josh is on a slight delay because of his bad internet connection. So if I'm talking over him, uh, we might just want to give him a quick space to talk. Uh, and I'll cut oh, out this no. section that I just said. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks to Rogers for uh, the lovely internet outage all Yikes. over today. Uh, no, no, no. But uh, so if I am on a slight delay, I'm very sorry about that, Phil. Got um, but no, I, I feel I, I love what you said about uh, Lachlan um, and how you were kind of pioneering that whole direction and kind of, you know, doing things that make you happy and that are fun. Like there, there should never be any issue with that, I think. And then also kind of exploring, um, you know, all the things that can be done and the, the wide range of things that can be done on the bike. I'm a big fan of that whole scene. And it has me curious as well. Um, you know, how did you get riding in the first place? Like as a kid, what brought you to the bike and, and what do you love um, about it? It was, I mean, kind of like a mode of transportation at first. Um, when I was, I was in high school, like I didn't have a car. We just want to go like meet my friends around town. Um, so the bike was sort of a, a freedom thing. Um, just riding around Atlanta, getting in trouble, going to the mall, cool. uh, meeting up with my buddies. Um, and then I think we kind of realized like just how much, you know, the, the whole city of Atlanta where I grew up, it's like, you know, 11 miles from one place. Like you could see the whole city in a day. Um, and that sort of just became the purpose more than like visiting my friends like oh let's just go ride somewhere um started that way and then i did there's there's an event i wonder if it still happens called the bike ride across georgia probably does but they uh you know it's just you pay a fee there's okay. they kind of mark a course um you can pay for a hotel or you can camp but like a couple of my buddies did that before like the senior year of high school um actually no it was the, it was after high school we did the bike ride across georgia and then we rode one of my friends we kept riding so it was like from the southern tip of Georgia, the northern part, and then we kept riding a couple days uh, unsupported to drop off my friend at UNC uh, where he was going to start college, so we like kind of went up there to his uh, orientation. Um, yeah, it was just like a random, let's just do like a bike trip. Um, and after that, I went to college. I went to College University of Florida, and um, and I, you know, I didn't know anybody, new school, uh, new place, and I was like, well, I like riding bikes. I'll join the bike club. And I didn't realize that like that was going to be a racing thing. Um, I just thought like a bike club would be like you get to you know you go and you ride bikes with people, um, but it was like yeah. competitive. You know, they collegiate racing is a thing. I was like, oh okay. Um, so I was just literally just like fell into that um, and turned out to be kind of good at it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> uh, kind of good. Kind of uh, good. I'll, I'll take that, that to that. summarize my whole career. <laughs> 
<laughs> and from there you kind of spiraled obviously into into the racing scene um like i said you won red lens twice and obviously the world tour um uh what sort of you know and we can chat about world tour stuff maybe in a few minutes but um it seems obviously like you, you know you have your worst retirement ever uh you have your new project with jukebox so um it seems to me like you're still obviously very passionate about what you're doing and what you know keeps motivating you uh is, you know chase these crazy uh koms and do do the videos and, and all that that you do now what, what's keeping you going what inspires um, you honestly i think i think like retiring like there was there's a lot of things i liked about pro racing um but it was also in a lot of ways just like it was just too hard <laughs> um like the level that i had like I, I just got to a really high level and it really wasn't sustainable it really wasn't comfortable um you know you're in the world tour you're supposed to have two you have to have an apartment in the u.s an apartment in spain and you know they give you sixty thousand dollars uh for the year um I remember just it just being like a horrible struggle was was kind of looking back at my 20s it was just it, it, just, it was brutal um, and then retiring at 30 I still physically had kind of a lot left um, but but there was no there was no team to race for so I was just forced to be creative um, and it, you know, that was also kind of an organic thing that that, that couldn't have been planned where I had when I when I retired, I had a job offer. Um, that was part of why I did. I was going to work at a sports agency, and over like the next year, um, I was oh, like, okay. "Well, yeah, I'm going to have some fun. I've got you know a couple of brands. We're like, yeah, you got on Strava. What if we like you know brands that I raced for? Um, what if we support this? Um, you know." And I was like, "Well, I don't know what this is, so I'll make a YouTube show." Um, I was trying to sell like a TV show in Hollywood for a couple of years, <laughs> and the. The, you know, we'd have these meetings and the input would be like, oh, well, wow. what is your experience as a host? And my thing was like, yeah, that's a good point. I've never hosted a TV show. Uh, so let's see if, you know, you know, if I can get four <laughs> sponsors together um, and they'll make a YouTube show and that's practice. And then I can come back to, you know, these whatever studios and production companies uh, a year later and say like, yeah, look, here's, here's me hosting a show. Um, so that was kind of part of that. And then cool. slowly the, the job offer kind of never materialized and and the show which was i was just doing to like kill time and have fun um was you know brands which just were just messaging me like hey can we be involved in this um and that turned into my full-time existence and one of those like yeah if i had tried to make that work i don't think it would have um but just like doing it for fun for a while and, and letting it kind of be expressing yourself without any external you know deliverables and sponsors like being able to do like hey here's what i want to make um that you didn't have an audience at first um, and wouldn't have had one if I was trying to kind of put together what people like. Um, but it kind of taught me that like racing is, uh, or, uh, the, the sport itself, I think focuses too much on, on racing, on European racing specifically. Um, and I think there's, there's right, a lot yeah, of value totally to be had in, in just having adventures on the bike um, and, and sharing that. So that was sort of, sort of what I've learned um, and and yeah like being able to do what I want is I don't need extra inspiration or motivation to, <laughs> to, to have adventures and have fun on my bike yeah. Um, now yeah it's been uh, this is yeah. year six of worst retirement ever which is really funny to think about <laughs> yeah no no it's it's awesome and obviously you know you're, you're super entertaining we love watching you um, you know we hope you have another six 12 years left in you. yeah i don't think i'm gonna do that i don't want to be going getting KOMs for a living in my 40s um, i need to think it's it's interesting like i i want to think of a different spin i but i the show that i was trying to do in hollywood um which i got like very close to, to getting done twice um but the uh the idea of that was like kind of a cycling travel show um which you know kind of bourdain oh, cool. but healthy and during the day was the idea like here's a cool place let me share it via bicycle and show you why like and a bike is the best way to, to experience a place um, and I think I, I, I want to I, I would like to get more into that uh, on YouTube but and I've kind of done I, I put that into a lot of my videos I put like a travel angle and an experience angle out of it but then uh, you know you look at the views right, and right. me doing this really fun adventure ride in Taiwan gets 30,000 views 
and me like ripping up a four minute hill a block from my house gets 80. Um, so I can't really reconcile like what right. I want to make versus what, <laughs> you know, the people are interested in is completely aligned. Um, so it's either I drag them kicking and screaming yeah. into that or, you know, it just, it gets smaller and yeah, that, that's, that's what I, I have. I have a year and a half, I think to figure that out. <laughs> Going back to what you said, you don't want to be retiring doing uh, uh, doing KOMs. Is there is there a KOM you need to you need to get before you like? I don't want to say before you die, but like, is there one you get before you retire sure. for real? <laughs> It'd be really like the the Everesting record kind of became that. Um, I, I I need I want to get a better crack at that. I need to get my body right. That was like I I overtrained trying to get ready for trying to prepare to Everest. Um, on a hill this was like deep pandemic where you're not traveling um and really like a lot of things were going against it but one of them was just like the climb the climbs that were available to me there's there's it's impossible to get the record on um so i, I trained really hard and kind of peaked for whatever it it, it did not work and honestly it's, it was like a year to get my body in shape to do anything and i'm starting to feel better like now um that's really interesting because yeah. i think a lot of people, I experienced this, and I think Josh did as well, like through the pandemic, like there was less work to do. We we were riding, like I think Josh and I were riding like 4 a.m. till like 10 a.m. before work. Right. Oh, um, yeah. and, and I think for the next like two years afterwards, like it's almost to that point where we've overtrained and I, I literally can't look at my bike right now. Yeah, um, oh, yeah. And I feel like I just Weird don't have any motivation to get on the bike. I was overtrained and just now I don't want to do it. Mm. Um, and it sounds like you kind of got yourself into that. Not, I mean, you're still on the bike, so you didn't get to that point, but um, it sounds like the pandemic did the same kind of thing for yeah, you. Yeah, it, it, I, I wouldn't say like, it's not motivation. Like I, I love riding my bike every day, but uh, but just like physically, like I was just, I dug myself into a pretty, pretty funny fatigue hole. Um, like mm -hmm. I use I use the Whoop, uh, the the fitness tracker thing, and I don't know if you're familiar. Pretty dorky metrics on it, but I used to have one. Okay, so yeah, you get the idea. It's like the yeah we've I have one currently. Okay. Yeah. So in, in 2020, uh, like I was, I had it very dialed. Like you like you're saying, there's there's no inputs. There was less to do. Even for me, where my job is is riding a bike, like travel was a lot of it. Um, I was able to like really target and dial in my training for the first kind of everything attempts. Um, so I could get it where like, okay, my, my HRV, like my average that year was like 135, um, which is, which is pretty high, but I would have days in the two hundreds. And if I like did a little proper taper, I could get it to 300 any day I wanted. Like you told me seven day in advance, like here's, here's the, here's the openers, here's the rest, here's the recovery. Like I had it dialed. Um, and then, uh, I go through all that and at some point, like I did an altitude camp, which knocks your HRV down and it was expected. And then I did uh, just do these long endurance rides. Uh, finally, I was like, okay, after two more Everest attempts, I was tired. I need a break. I took February of last year completely off, um, and my body did not like that. So I, I watched like my Whoop score just was it was like red for a solid, you know, couple like four weeks. I'm gonna say. Um, and then I was working on this ill-fated startup. That's a whole other story. I don't want to talk about. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> But I was like, kind of like, okay, I'm resting. I'm not on the bike. I'm going to stare at the laptop for, for a month and like try to get this thing figured out. Um, and when I came out of that, like fully, I haven't seen an HRV in the triple digits. Like it was average 130. I haven't seen it in triple digits since then. Um, like a month. It was, it's, it's wild what, wow. how I fried my CNS. Um, <laughs> how, how do you find, I, I, I mean, when I was wearing the Whoop, I actually, I found it. Um, because I'm so competitive, I found it a demotivator when I was in the red, and it actually like that was kind of something that really put me down. How did you find that for a, for a solid month, knowing that you were kind of it was detrimental? Yeah, I mean, I just sort of chalked it up to like my body doesn't like being off the bike, um, and I didn't think about which makes sense. Like that was honest. That's consistent with everything else. Like if I yeah, an easy day, my my numbers go up, fully off, um, and, and like my body never agreed with with. It, it's just a shock to your system was kind of what I thought like the first week of, of that but I realized more it was like it was a mental stress of like having to of the the startup thing I was working on and uh, I just bit off a lot that I could not chew uh, and it was a it was a failed uh, attempt from pretty early on um, yeah when yeah. you do something that you, it's impossible it's just sure. turns into stress was <laughs> what I kind of learned yeah um, yeah. So, yeah so that was that was 
that was rough. I, I wouldn't say it like demotivates me. It's just like a, a point like, okay, if it's red, I'm going to take that into effect for my performance today. Um, mm-hmm. and, and my goals, you know, like, okay, maybe I yeah. you know, take today easy and ride harder tomorrow kind of thing. Uh, if you can do that. Yeah. How did, I know, um, like speaking of that, I think, uh, you know, you just did a, a pretty big, well, relatively recently, um, a big ride mm-hmm. for, for No Kid Hungry, which was awesome. Um, but I think you were saying uh, you were pretty fried after that. Yeah, that was, right? that was like a, it was seven days. I did, the idea was, was Phil's Tour of California. Um, because we used to, obviously Tour of California used to be a race. Nice. Um, and I, it, I thought it'd be fun to like recreate that. I basically just did kind of similar to old race courses, but without the, there was a lot, they put us on the bus a lot. Um, so obviously no, like no transfers. It was entirely point to point by bike. I rode from Palo Alto to LA and then past LA up Mount Baldy. Um, so it was like seven days. Nice. Um, and yeah, it was funny. Like the riding part was easy. The hard part was like, you know, making a YouTube short every day and, and doing like the, the Instagram posts and trying to get the donations oh, yeah. and, and all that stuff. Um, like I, you know, I, I finished like a six and a half hour ride yeah. and I'm like, got to do a bunch of laptop work for the next two hours. Uh, and also eat, for example, that was, yeah. that was kind of my physically like, I was yeah. like, Oh, I still, I can still do this. You know, I can still do a week of zone two, zone three. Um, the, the laptop where it was yeah part. no that's cool yeah and just like we're saying all that extra stress definitely adds up right and creeps in but yeah no that, that's really cool and uh so how did you get involved with uh no kid hungry um they're a pretty pretty awesome organization yeah they um yeah they do a really good job it was um my my first year uh actually the year the year that i was about to retire uh was the first year i had my my cookie fondo in malibu um, so the idea with that is like, I was I was riding in LA. I, vi- I visited LA thinking like, oh, I know this city. This is gonna suck to ride. It turns out like the section just north of the city, some of the best riding in the world. Um, so I had my Fondo kind of get the word out on that. Um, and I didn't I didn't give it a ton of thought uh, that year. But you have to have like a charity partner to uh, to close roads to, to have an event permit in in Malibu to do anything like. They're just like, yeah, who's your 501c3 sign off? Um, so that year, uh, that year we did like a cancer hospital. Um, and then the next year, uh, one of my, I, I kind of got in with these these local chefs who ride bikes. It was a handful of them. Jeff Mahan was sort of the first one. And then he introduced me to a bunch of other folks. Um, but they'd started this charity uh, called Chef Cycle that raises money for local hunger. And I think it was kind of a response to, the restaurant industry and, and seeing a lot of food waste. Um, they wanted to sort of give back. Um, so they were doing this annual, it's like a, oh, nice. a awesome. three day ride in Santa Rosa that raises money. It's like a lot of like celebrity chefs, like kind of, yeah, they ride bikes, but they're not, you know, super serious cyclists. It's a, it's a, you know, folks who've been riding for a couple of months or they were yeah. gonna do it just for that. Um, and so from meeting them the next year, we, we had them do, you know, the, the chefs would make the, fancy dinner at the end of the ride so we have this incredible post-ride meal um benefit no oh, hungry cool. and and then with them like i did a couple school visits and i was like oh <laughs> um that's i see what you guys do uh and and you see the value of it like you know i was never food insecure growing up um and you see like and and i would and from doing that i would get messages from folks like yeah, oh, yeah i was on a you know a meal program like this from my school and if not like i never would have made it through oh, wow. Uh, through anything you see like you know there's, there's kids who just whose parents don't have time or don't have the resources and just drop their kid off to you know with no breakfast um and and yeah. no good hunger is like a very simple solution yeah. like all right we're gonna have an apple and some peanut butter and that kid goes from c's to b's yeah. um and it's pretty measurable uh and and direct like all right that's a, this is just an easy thing to message oh, yeah. And, yeah. and have an impact yeah well, it's similar to when you're on the bike, right? Like you, you need fuel for your body, for your brain to work. Right. And, you know, I myself, I'm a social worker at the schools, so I okay. see this every day. And, uh, you know, just want to give you massive kudos. It's it's awesome and it's so needed. And uh, thank you for all the work you've done on and off the bike for this. That's that's amazing. And definitely uh, check them out if you can at www.nokidhungry.org. Um, great stuff. And uh yeah, yeah, massive rides, mega work for them, and 
yeah, much appreciated by by many many people. Yeah, so thanks, this, this also goes along with like the 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 pro cycling audience being weird in a good way. Of I I kind I realized pretty quick like if mm-hmm. if my whole you know YouTube thing and my my post career was like. I'm gonna go for records. Look how fast and strong I am. <laughs> if it was like that, would that was that was gonna feel gross really <laughs> fast, um, and and just super meaningless. Yeah. But having the charity tie-in, like I, I forget when I first kind of put it on YouTube, but it was after like one of the Everesting things. I kind of I I finished the Everest effort, and you know, thirty thousand people watched that video, whatever, and, and I kind of looked at the camera and said. Hey, like, yeah, I'm I'm suffering. This was really hard, but there are people who, you know, don't suffer voluntarily. Um, why don't you click this link and donate? Mm-hmm. And I think like just just saying that, like, people donated two hundred thousand um, dollars, and it, it's a real disconnect between wow. like me riding a bike and saying, hey, give money to this cause. Um, so big respect to like the audience mm-hmm. and, and the donations that people are just like, yeah, okay, <laughs> that sounds good. I'll, I'll chip in for that. And it was, it was like 20 bucks at a time. It's uh, it was, that's how many people were just really into it. Yeah, no, that's amazing. Yeah. I, um, I did an Everest myself actually, but it was nice. virtual, uh, to raise money for, uh, uh, our school board as well. But, uh, I, that's, it's amazing what you said. It just resonates with me. Like I said, the exact same thing to people is, you know, like there's, there's people who don't, suffer voluntarily and uh you know we really right. really need this help uh so that's really cool to hear you say that yeah yeah um and you know uh thank you very much uh for for sharing the last few moments of the tour uh with us this morning before we yeah. jumped on to record <laughs> um <laughs> switching gears but uh you know it's not every day that uh, we get to say that we watch the tour with somebody like yourself so that's really cool for us um then you said so you haven't really been uh tuned into the tour too much uh is that just this year or every year or no i have what, i have a weird relationship uh, with pro cycling uh and that kind of continues so like i have i have a handful of friends in the tour um if if i heard like you know toms was in a breakaway i'd, I'd probably want to go find the feed and, and see what was yeah. going to go on like i want to watch them win but in general like if I if I have pro cycling yeah. on too long, I'm going to see something that triggers me and makes me mad. Um, between like you know the, who they have doing commentary um, and and you know who's mm-hmm. on this all, all that just from a from a political and 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 doping perspective, I'm always just like banging my head against what what they think is reasonable and appropriate and what yeah. Um, so it, so I try to avoid it for the most yeah. part. It, it's it's hard to enjoy uh, unless it's a very specific thing yeah no yeah i i totally get that i like almost played professional hockey myself um and for years after like i couldn't watch pro hockey or it was it was really tough to take and it's it's something i think that you know you can't really describe to people unless you're in that situation um and it's it's a very strange relationship right right no it happened really fast too i remember like watching races like the like four months after i retired I'm, I pull it up and I and I, it also it, it's crazy how dangerous it looks. It's one of those things like, at the time, you know, like you know, I, I was in. Oh yeah. I spent thousands of hours like in a pack, bumping elbows with dudes, and it, it seemed fine. You know, you crash sometimes. It seems fine, and then like I'm watching, the tour of Catalonia in 2017, and I'm like, crap! I did that once. Those guys, what are they doing? It looks insane. They're <laughs> 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 stripping around these mountains. They don't know what's around the corner. Um, yeah, it's, it was really interesting how like, and I was like, yeah, I was like, I, I hope my friends are okay. I don't want to look at this. Um. For, for someone who's who's probably, I'm going to say almost 100% never going to be in a group of people like that. What's it like being in a pro peloton, like surrounded by all of these people who you know? I mean, I'm, I'm guessing they're friends, but at the same time, they're also enemies because like they're, they're going to try and beat you at some point, right? Oh, it, the, the pack, I mean, it's all, it's all pretty civil. Like everyone kind of knows their role. The thing is, like the the professional pack, the world tour, like everyone in there is so experienced and so good, um, and and it's it's a small, you know, it's it looks like a big pack, but like for the most part, everybody knows everybody, and it's it's the same guys every week. So like you know, you can't you can't cause you can't cause a crash and not expect like the guys to be pissed at you the next day. Um, so it's everyone's pretty responsible everyone has you know or you know wife and kids or something to go home to and they're in this for the long haul um 
so that that part that part was was okay sense, but yeah. what's what's scary is just like you know are they going to close the roads properly is there going to be a chair uh around the next corner that fell out of a truck um that that kind of stuff is is what gets haunting is it you know did they did they clean or, or sweep the corners that yeah uh, and you look at it it's just like yeah it's it's just a miracle that that it's okay. it's as safe as it is um, and that kind of just speaks to the professionalism and the quality of the the riders for the most part um on that no, note what's awesome. your best story you have from the world tour days what's what's the craziest thing that ever happened oh um and that's tough i mean i i don't know i wrote two books and then i kind of just put all the crazy stories aside um <laughs> the craziest stuff I, I would say happened like in in the not in the world tour uh kind of in the domestic uh peloton or, or or international stuff so it's like you know when i first started i was basically just racing in the u.s which i would kind of compare to like playing europe uh professional basketball where you know it's it's competitive it's good but i assume i know what those guys apartments look like and and the very best guys like get pulled over to the big leagues once in a while and kind of prove themselves that was kind of how it felt uh racing for teams like jelly belly and bissell um which at the time were you know it seemed like a big deal but we were uh, very much like sleeping on couches um, and and road tripping to to races twenty four seven, but then it got to, you know, sort of, I'm gonna say graduated from that, but uh, we would do a mix of that and like a lot of racing in Asia, um, and China, just like so international UCI events, but not not Europe and not the top tier, um, but yeah, you'd, we'd go to like the the Tour of Hainan is this race at the end of the year in uh, in China. It's like on the the South China Sea, um, the, it's it's twenty thousand dollars to win. Everyone's going to like the black market at night and buying, you know, at the time like iPhones, with antennas coming out of them. <laughs> um, just weird adventures that you'd have uh, kind of overseas in just strange places that you're never going to go back to that you wouldn't expect to, a bike racing to to happen. Yeah, I, I mean, I. <laughs> I don't I don't have any uh, kind of correlation to that. I mean, the tra- the travel I've been doing recently is uh, as media for Toronto Hustle. Um, mm. uh, and we're definitely at, at the level of more of sleeping on couches. Mm. I, I was gifted a very nice hotel this time in Edmonton while the rest of the guys shared an Airbnb, um, which was, I was grateful for. Um, <laughs> but yeah, um, what are your takes <laughs> on the American cycling scene? I see a lot of people complaining about it, like North America. I, every year I hear it's different. Like every, I think people are like it's picking up. It's it's dying down. What do you think? I think it's I think it's shifted. I, for the most part, I'm I'm, I'm gonna agree with the kind of dying down, and that's something that that started. I I would say there was something that I watched happen my entire career from when I started. This was like, you know, before before my time, there was a tour at Georgia. There was like a lot of the European teams would would be in the U.S. for a lot of the year. Um, you know teams like mercury and uh that i like i never raced with them um but that was there's definitely like a bigger scene uh of american professional racing and that turned into like you know the the tour to tuna the redlands classic was a big deal um but there was i would say when i started it was very easy to go like the nrc calendar uh was you know seven or eight stage races a year fairly competitive the winners were making six figures there was uh, you know, three different teams that were well-funded and, you know, a total of 12 teams that were like actually professional UCI registered teams with full-time athletes. Um, and, and I kind of watched that go from, so that was my first year racing is 2009. And that's, that's kind of the scene we're talking about um, where there's, you know, 80 guys making a living uh, full-time as, as professional bike racers in the U S uh, zero women by the way that's a different conversation entirely i guess but uh but that would be that and then it's a very different conversation um, for sure by the time i finished really in the u.s there were there were one or two teams paying anyone a living wage um and and the events you know there's fewer events so that's like a downward spiral that i'm not really sure what caused it uh but you see like you know there's fewer events and there's and then there's fewer teams uh if you're a team it's harder to do anything without events and that just kind of kept eating itself um to where yeah now if you look at like the total just I'm, it's hard to kind of measure it but if you look at like the total budget of all the professional or all the teams uh across if you just add them up maybe that's maybe that's three million dollars 
uh, available for professional cyclists to cut up uh, in the U.S. I, I think it was probably more like 20 or 30 when I started. Uh, so yeah, I, I would say it's it's measurably shrinking. Wow. Um, you know what or why I, I can't I can't really tell. Um, yeah. Do you think that uh, like obviously we had the whole USA crit series and that sort of thing. Do you think crits are a more sustainable way of racing in uh, America or North America? Um, you know, it's kind of what we're used to in terms of spectators and, and sport in North America. Yeah, I think, I think crits, I mean, it's, I think it's a combination. It's sort of like crits are filling the vacuum of, of what, what used to be, uh, cause there's, there's nothing else. Um, it's expensive to put on a stage race. Um, it's, mm-hmm. I think it's a lot cheaper to, to close off, you know, a few, courses to have a crit or whatever like a you know a smaller area um the the whole like the what works in europe uh for for these big races is like you know the cities pay for the races to be there um and in the u.s it's kind of the opposite for the most part the cities charge you they don't really they don't really want your your tourism in tights um so (laughs) the u.s does love to be backwards on things (laughs) well it's just like you know they don't care about racing that's all like you know it's it's supply demand and the demand isn't there it's same thing as like i put on a fondo in malibu like if i if i put on that event in you know some a city in switzerland then they would you know comp 800 hotel rooms out of the city's tourism budget and uh and you know put their the logo of the city on there uh the city of malibu it says, uh, "Oh, you have to pay forty police triple overtime or whatever, because uh, they want you to not be there." And it, which is which makes complete sense. They don't want you to be there, so you have to pay. Uh, and so that applies to, to races as well. And uh, yeah, I think it's just like culturally, we're not that interested in it. So that's that's what we pay for. So I guess crits are kind of an interesting response to okay, let's not try to simulate European racing. Like that's not going to work. Uh, to you know, essentially, like American racing was right. trying to copycat, or I would say failing to copycat European racing uh, for all those years. So now it's like, okay, let's just start our own thing mm-hmm. that's completely new and different and see if it gets any yeah. gravity. Um, and, and I think, you know, it's working for some people. I, I wouldn't say like it succeeded, but I, I see the I see the point. It's interesting. Yeah. Um, we're going to wrap things up nice. in a minute with some quick fire questions, Phil. Um, but I just wanted to bring things right back to one of your most recent posts and videos. Um, cause I had a personal experience with this, um, a couple of weeks ago where I got into a, a physical altercation with a drunk driver. Um, not my choice. Right. <laughs> um, I, I should have seen your video first, which had deescalate. Um, <laughs> I was just wondering, uh, what other tips <laughs> you have for, for cyclists that are out there that are kind of dealing with this thing? I think we deal with it every day. Yeah. I, it's, I think it's gotten worse in the last few years. It's hard to tell, um, but honestly, like it's it's weird. Like living in LA, how how safe I feel on the roads here. It's the opposite of what you'd expect. Um, I think the volume of traffic, people are just prepared for it. Um, this is a different conversation, but I've 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 felt safer in the city than I did like in the countryside in in Georgia back in the day. Um, as far as like fewer drunker dri- drunk drivers, they're paying more attention. Um, they're less likely to be armed. <laughs> uh, but uh, but in general, yeah, it's just you know people are hostile and and I, the, the at least the way America works now is like I start every interaction with, you know, it, well, well they start the interaction, uh, which is someone's you know honking at me or yelling at me or whatever, um, and and I I take that and I kind of like to assume, like okay this person is crazy and, and I think, not, not I like to assume but I have to assume that this person is crazy they're on the worst day of their life and they probably have a gun. Um, so if I'm going to approach and, and I, and I do think like it's, I do think it's worth trying to interact with people and explain, you know, when they're making you feel unsafe, uh, or, or when they're doing something dangerous, I think it's, it's worth trying to have that conversation. A lot of times, like it's, it doesn't go anywhere and you just can't let it get emotional. But, uh, I mean, for me, it's like, it's, it's practice. Cause I've had a thousand of these interactions and, uh, and I just don't get stressed out anymore. But I will go up to the window and be like, hey, man, you know, you'd have to honk at me. You got a whole lane right there. <laughs> I had one of those yesterday. Like I, like I was like, like, I was like riding my butt the whole way and to a red light and then honked at me and then swerved around or he kept honking at me and he swerved around and beat me to the red light. And then I get there 10 seconds later and I and I open and I, you know, I go up to the window and I'm like, hey, man, what was that for? Because you had a whole lane to get around me. Like all you had to do was this, turn your hands uh, and 
And he just got to directly <laughs> like, why don't I just beat your fucking ass then? It's like, okay, well, we're not going to have a, like, I'm not going to fix you. <laughs> <laughs> um, and like that was honestly his response. Yeah. And it's like, okay, well, yeah, I'm, I'm just going to move on. But some people, so I was like, hey, man, like what, what happened back there was super scary. Like, you know, wait until the road straightens out before you pass. And I'd really appreciate it. And some folks are like are receptive to that. I mean, maybe it's one in 10, yeah. but that's one. Uh, that's one that we got. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I think if you can have it rationally. I'd like to think that it's better yeah. after the fact. Like some people are probably too escalated in the moment, but, but no, I, yeah, we've all been there. Um, I think, you know, pros, amateurs, we all have the same experiences with right. that, but, uh, but interesting to have the tips and worthwhile having conversations right. with well, people. What we don't want is for like someone to, yeah to, to get into conversation with me at a red light and then be like, I'm going to run over the next cyclist I see, <laughs> you know, like that's because I, yeah. that's, that's just as possible if, if those don't go well, is someone's just like, God, I hate these yeah. bikers. And they, they take that even For further. Sure. Um, so I think we all have to kind of try to be aligned <laughs> yes, on, on yeah. how to handle it. Um, yeah. For sure. No, I, and, uh, no, we appreciate that advice. Thank you so much, Phil. Um, now, in the haste of, of having to scramble and get over here, I forgot my laptop charger, so uh, it might die. But we do have these rapid, uh, rapid fire questions. Um, it, uh, yeah. Okay. Awesome. So, what's uh, the fastest speed you've ever gone on? Uh, Seventy-two miles an hour. It's the same part every year. The tour of Utah, the final into Park City. Um, just high altitude, steep wow. downhill. So I, I'm just converting Jeez. that into kilometers around because yeah, sure. that is that? our language over here. So that's 116, Josh. Yeah. <laughs> um, what's the toughest oh, climb you've ever been gosh. up? Ooh, crap. There's so many ways to measure tough. Um, I, I got to go with Mauna Kea in Hawaii. That was the one that kind of inspired me to do YouTube. I did that New Year's Eve uh, 2016. So it was my last day as a pro. Um, and I, I got the KOM by two hours. It was a five-hour climb. <laughs> Um, it's just it's it goes from the ocean all the way wow. to fourteen thousand feet. You can do the metric on that, um, but like a beautiful day to a wall of snow, all these different climate zones. There's a dirt section that was four miles. As well as I was like, I took pictures. I didn't. I wasn't doing YouTube then. Wow. But part was like, oh, there's so much cool stuff to share about bikes that's not uh, Vontu and, and shit going on in France. Um, there's there's great adventures. That's that's a big yeah. one for me, Mauna Kea. That's awesome. Um, the best teammate you've ever had? Ooh, um, that's fun. I uh, well, so I had good teammates in Europe, but no one really worked for me that much. So like, I was kind of the best teammate, if that makes sense. You know, like Andrew Tolansky wasn't ever teammate for me. Um, I was bringing him bottles, so I'd have to go back to like my domestic days. Uh, and a name that you probably don't know, Jim Stemper. Uh, he's a guy like when when you're on these teams and like no one's getting paid a living wage and you're all the whole point of being on that team is to get on a better team hopefully and someone like actually like sells out for you and wears themselves out uh, and and they're going to get nothing out of the day they're going to drop out with two laps to go so that I can win and move on to a better team um, it it just it means a lot more um, so yeah. Jim Stemper was like the reason I won Redlands the first time which uh, you know he's he works at stages now um, he's doing fine, but uh, but yeah, the, the guys who really sweat back in those kind of the sleeping on couches days um, was pretty meaningful uh, teammates, and there's a lot mm. of them. Um, next question is that your favorite place to ride or, or your dream place to ride if you haven't been there yet? Ooh, um, honestly, like I I love it in L.A. Like I I think it's it's this is this is my favorite place to ride is I I moved here. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, on, on the list, uh, there's a lot of great stuff in Asia that I haven't tracked yet. Um, and I, and I, I really love riding in Colombia. Any chance I get down there is a, is a blast. Um, Mexico. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of untapped, just nice. interesting places to check out. I'm sure Josh and I were hoping for Quebec there is cool. the answer. Oh, sorry. Yeah, no. <laughs> Too much rain I, I, every race I did there ended up, uh, with embrication in the shower. Too many potholes. Yeah. <laughs> beautiful place, though. <laughs> on that note what's your most memorable racing moment Ooh, um i mean this is a, there's a lot of those uh i would say like the first the first race that i won the first big race that i won like redlands has come up and at the time like that was a big that was a big moment for me that was the first point in my life that i knew i was going to be okay 
that was uh, I was 25, 26 then, and it was looking real iffy <laughs> for for my 20s. And at that point, I was like, okay, someone's gonna have to like pay me to do this, and uh, I can get off the couches. And th- like that little moment, like I won that race by three seconds, um, and it was like, yeah, I can still think about that wow. and kind of get emotional. Um, second place was uh, awesome. twenty fourteen. Um, I was working for Alex Howes when he won the stage in Denver at the Tour of Colorado. Um, that was a that was a big one too. That was like it really mm-hmm. emptied my tank and dug deep and and got to be that teammate um, and a, a hometown win. That's um, awesome. I I saw I've seen that you, you're not the biggest fan of music, but you did say that you love podcasts. What's what's your most listened to podcast right oh, now? Um, yeah, I listen to a ton of podcasts. Um, I I don't I don't dislike music. It's just hard to find. I get bored of it fast. So like a podcast, you could subscribe and you have you know a new hour twice a week or whatever. Um, I listen to like all kinds of NPR and news stuff. Like I don't really listen to to cycling when I'm riding. It feels redundant. Um, I, uh, but yeah, the New York Times, the Daily, I get the news there. Um, uh, Kara Swisher is she was doing a Times podcast, um, and she's like, "Oh, we lost him." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's okay. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> um, uh, Kara Swisher just like interviews with with tech people and entrepreneurs and like really interesting politics stuff. Um, kind of just I I like to treat podcast time like when I'm writing, essentially like let's let's stimulate my mind, let's try and learn something. Um, so it's a big mix, and then just throw in like old episodes of like Conan O'Brien's podcast where he interviews comedians, just like always a good time. Um, it's funny of those two. All right. And to wrap up, if you weren't a cyclist, what would your dream job be? Uh, I'd be a writer. Um, I really enjoyed uh, like writing the books that I did. Um, that's one of those things that like time passes and you don't realize it. Uh, I, I feel the same about uh, riding and writing in a lot of ways. Um, I It's honestly like it, writing for a living it's it's so competitive and it'd be so hard i don't know how i would do that <laughs> i kind of like mixing both worked out but uh but one or the other yeah um but i i would i would have had to try to make that work i think that they have a lot of things in common that's that's just as equally competitive that there's only like maybe like 30 good writers yeah. and uh and probably thirty thousand other Everybody people else putting their heads against it yeah week week. yeah it'd be one of those um, Josh is uh, is swearing and apologizing through text to be right. It's okay. about him. <laughs> He's a uh, yeah. We'll all blame Rogers. Um, this is bad press for Rogers. Um, I, I just wanted to thank you so much for coming on. Um, it's been a pleasure to talk to you. Yeah, um, I've been a, a big fan, and I, I'm trying not to like fan out. <laughs> uh, but this has been great. No, very cool. Appreciate you guys. Yeah, thank you all so right, much. Um, 